Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz War Report. There's a saying that living well is the best form of revenge, but I think that living well actually eliminates the need for revenge. And to talk about living well, we have our guest Maria Bernardis, who's an award-winning author, a chef, a health coach, and everything else that I'm not. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you for having me, Vip. Well, you're a Greek. You've lived in Australia. You then moved to America. You went from working as a financial specialist. And now you're a living well specialist who believes in using ancient Greek techniques to promote well-being. Absolutely, absolutely. So are you following your passion or are you just a new age hippie? Actually, I'm following my passion. Hmm. And I guess I had an epiphany back in Mykonos in 2004 that sort of gave me a bit of a wake-up call. Right. My passion, and, and it was basically, you know, certain health-related issues that prompted me, um, you know, to move in in the direction of my dreams. So, what was your dream? What was your passion? Well, my dream from a very, very young girl growing up on the Greek island of uh, Psara with my grandmother mm. was cooking and food, and actually growing food. So. Uh, you know, basically, I, I grew up living, you know, on on an island where there were no cars, there was no electricity, no flushing toilets, so we grew everything. And then every morning, I would help my grandmother make the bread, and uh, you know, attend to the goat and, and milk the goat, and and we'd make yogurt, and and then of course having our outdoor oven and communal oven where we used to cook everything, and uh, you know, it just left such an amazing impression on, on me mm. that. That was what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be in the kitchen cooking, but cooking healing meals, uh, you know, straight from the source, um, from farm to table sort of concept. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and unfortunately, I, I didn't pursue my dream because as you do when your parents come from, you know, war-torn World War II, uh, Kalamata, and they go to Australia, it's, I was given the option you become an accountant, a lawyer, or a, or a doctor. It was kind of... ABC, and I can um, relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> ABC. So I, I chose sort of you know finance and went down sort of the accounting tax law. Um, think, but I came to my senses in two thousand and four and thought you know life's too short, and um, you know we've just got to live our dreams and go out there and do it. But what was what was your what's your philosophy? Well, is this in terms of my philosophy for for Greek delicious and, and yeah. living? Uh, yeah. Well. Basically, my, my philosophy is to cook and eat food that is as close to nature as possible, as organic as possible, mm-hmm. um, that is healing and nourishing to the body. But in addition to the eating, my philosophy is to adopt ancient wisdoms um, and philosophies in terms of healing, which include you know, practices to heal our mind because true healing doesn't happen just by the food we eat but we also have to have a healthy mind and of course exercise added to that so i'm all about taking an ancient greek holistic approach to cooking eating and life but isn't ancient wisdom just relevant to ancient times well, it's really interesting because what I, what, what I found when I did my research is, is a lot of that ancient wisdom is more relevant today than in ancient times mm-hmm. because I observed that in ancient times there was many ancients that were living beyond 100. 
um, you know, with no health issues, um, you know, no obesity issues, no depression. And then I thought to, to myself, well, where have we gone wrong nowadays? You know, I'm seeing people dying of cancer. I'm seeing people dying at young ages. You know, everybody's got allergies. Uh, it, it's like, you know, I've got a list of a, of a thousand things, and, and yet we uh, have all this technology and advancements in medicine, but yet people are living uh, a younger, like dying at a younger age. Mm. And the health issues have escalated um, and, and there's been this emergence of new health issues. So um, I'm thinking, well, I think we need to get back to ancient wisdom so we can start living to beyond 100, having peace, having health, and having harmony. But you focused, when I did my research on you, you focused on, 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 on Greek uh, ancient um, lifestyles and wisdom. But if you look at, say, the Aryan... Um, wisdom, the Aryan cuisine, the Persian wisdom, the Persian cuisine, even the Japanese, it's all very healthy. Absolutely. Look, every culture mm. and every country has its own wisdoms. And I think if, if we were to go around the world and document all those wisdoms, we would find a lot of parallels. And certainly when I've studied, you know, the Native American Indians, which absolutely fascinate me, and the Mayans, mm. I noticed that there was a lot of parallels in the ancient Greek wisdoms to their wisdoms of practice in terms of the herbs that we use and the spices and also, you know, the various practices of, of love and good energy in terms of health of the mind. So the wonderful thing is it's not these wisdoms, I don't feel are just unique to ancient Greece, but I guess because my origins are that of Greece, I, I just felt, I guess, compelled to go that way as opposed to sort of, you know, go study the, the Native American Indians because I haven't lived that. So what's wrong with modern-day living that ancient practices can cure or ancient Greek practices? Well, I think where we've gone wrong uh, in, in, in modern times is I think, first of all, I think medicine has absolutely failed us. Um, you know, we have doctors nowadays that are reciting the, the oath of Hippocrates, the ancient you know, Greek doctor of medicine, but yet they're not practicing it. You know, they're just issuing all these tablets and pills and um, short-term solutions, and they're not addressing the preventative side. You know, and one of the things that Hippocrates and everybody practice in ancient Greece, it's like, okay, we have cancer in this patient, let's remove it, but what are we going to do to help this person so they don't get this cancer again? Mm. So, and they, they practice very therapies, which I'm sure we'll discuss later, which were not just food and balancing the chakras and having sun therapy and dream therapy and color therapy, but many other therapies. I, I think the second thing that's, that, that where we've gone wrong uh, is in ancient times there was this, you know, let medicine be thy food and food thy medicine, mm. and another Hippocrates quote. Now, unfortunately, I say to people is we have let food be your poison and, and, you know, and poison your food because most of the food that we have here in, in, in the USA, and I must say the situation here is far worse than Australia, where I came from, is, is riddled with pesticides and chemicals and genetically modified ingredients and food additives. I mean, I pick up a, 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 a packet of, say, a cereal mm. um, in the supermarket, and I don't even recognize the ingredients. It's like, well, what is this? 
well, if I don't recognize it, it couldn't be that good for me. And will my body recognize it? Well, obviously not with all these illnesses. Well, one thing I found interesting and what we're going to talk about is, you know, uh, the, the, the type of foods we need to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also talked about, you know, uh, light therapy, color therapy, music therapy, all that's relevant to, you know, be, uh, a state of well-being. But let's start with the, with the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if I was to ask you, what are the top five foods everyone must have in the kitchen? Yeah, um, I must say that's that, that's a difficult one, but I do have a, a top five list because I have many in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. But the first thing and the most important thing is fresh fruit and vegetables. That mm-hmm. would have to be on the top of my list. The, the second important thing that I urge people to have is fermented foods and apple cider vinegar. They all fit into the same category because as the ancient therapists, in particular Hippocrates would, would say, is all disease begins in the gut. If, if you have good gut health, mm. then you have good brain health and you have good body health. So I'm, I'm not talking about popping those peels. I, I prefer to have you know more fermented vegetables like kimchi, sauerkraut, and apple cider vinegar is very good. I have about sort of three tablespoons of that a day. Just hold yeah. it right there. Just hold, you, you say fermented foods. I've got the kimchi. You can talk. You, you, uh, you, even pickles? Uh, pickles don't have the same effect as like kimchi and sauerkraut. They have a little bit of an effect, but I wouldn't use those as a substitute. What, what does kimchi and, and sauerkraut do for you? Well, they've got a lot of probiotics, so a lot of good gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. So if you can have something, or, or, or even kefir, or Greek yogurt, so if you can have something like that in the morning, what mm-hmm. it does is it jumpstarts all your good bacteria in your tummy um, and, and throughout your body, and it helps uh, you know, not destroy the good enzymes, and it helps in digestion. So right. it's all about good gut health. Um, and you know, sometimes people get a lot of bloating. It's because you know, there's something going on in their gut, their flora and, um, uh, you know, basically all that good bacteria. So very, very important, I say to people, to have something like that for good health. So I get bloating, so what, what should I be doing? Well, if, if you get bloating, there, there are one of two things uh, that I do. Mm. I find that um, a spice called mastica or mastic, which is a great chewing gum, mm. I ingest some of that, and it absolutely calms my tummy. A, a good probiotic, so in other words, what we discussed, is also uh, really helpful. And drinking lots of water. So you also want to flush and have gentle foods. So you don't want sort of foods that are, are going to add to the bloating, like with lots of gluten, like breads and, mm. and cereals and, and things like that. But if you have a good program and, and incorporate these five ingredients that I'm just discussing in your diet, I mean, you'll find that that will ease. That, that sort of bloating and so on. So you're saying fruit, veg, um, you're talking about the fermented foods like kimchi and sauerkraut. You mentioned apple cider vinegar. Yes. Now what is, I mean, you just drink that? Yes, absolutely. Or you can put it into some sparkling water, especially now in, in summertime, uh, and, and, and just drink that. And that was used by Hippocrates as a prebiotic. So it helps uh, and encourages the good bacteria um, to, to grow in your um, in your di- digestive, so uh, and it's also very good. Apple cider vinegar is a very good thing to use if people have got acid reflux. Mm-hmm. 
instead of taking tablets, I encourage them to, to take apple cider vinegar. Right. Um, so it's got it's got multiple uses, and also for weight loss. I always prescribe it for people that want to use weight loss to have some just before their meal. So it's not any... Why just apple cider vinegar, not not any other type of vinegar? It's just the way that it's fermented and the process that it's made. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I do encourage people uh, to get the organic brand. Mm. A brand. Um, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not supported by this brand, but I prefer Bragg's mm-hmm. as being one of the best. And it was proven since ancient times and Hippocrates used to use it that it's got good prebiotics all the other vinegars don't have that and it also alkalizes the body whereas a lot of those other vinegars that we use are acidic right so so what's the fifth item then yeah so it's it's an an item everybody should have in their in their cupboard and what's the fifth um so uh, spices and herbs is my third one Mm -hmm. my fourth one is Good oils, I can't emphasize that in, enough. Well, t- so, before we get there, which spices and herbs? All right. Well, my top uh, herbs would have to be uh, parsley because it's good for digestion. Cilantro because cilantro is uh, a major detox herb. So it's very good if you want to detox metals or anything out of your body. Mm. Oregano. Um, which I absolutely love because it, it's good for if people are itchy to take baths in it. It's also good for coughs, so if you've got a, co- a cold. So for people who have psoriasis, psoriasis, is that good, oregano? Yes, yes, it, ha- it helps and so does thyme. That's mm-hmm. what they used to use in ancient Greece. Rosemary, which I love because it's a good memory herb, right. so it helps you know, with memory. And basil, of course, which is an ancient Greek word for royal, um, is another good herb, um, you know, that was used, you know, for heart conditions and it was soothing to sort of any abdomen condition. So they would be my top five herbs that I would, I always have in the kitchen. I mean, but these herbs, not in season all the time. But these herbs these days, you, you get them dried up and they're in bottles. Do they still have the same effect? Um, well, they have very different effects. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you want to use them as dried. So, for example, if you've got long periods of cooking time, you'd use them dry. If you're using them for healing in terms of um, baths and that, you would use dry. You wouldn't use the fresh. The fresh I tend to use on salads or as a garnish. So I don't want to use fresh basil in the oven for long periods of cooking time because most of the essential nutrients in there would be destroyed. So it depends what we're using them for, what the purpose is. No, but the herbs that I buy, say, from a store, grocery store, they come in small bottles. Yes. They've already been dried. So they don't really have the same effect, do they? No, you have to be careful. Uh, And and secondly, this is why I I urge people to buy organic because a lot of the pesticides and and, and chemicals that they've sprayed on these Mm. herbs have diminished very much of the... uh, the healing quality. So you just have to buy the fresh ones that are in plants and pots? A- absolutely. Uh, and I grow my herbs on, on my little windowsill. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I say to people is with basil, it's not always in season. So what I do is I just chop it up, put it in an ice cube tray, fill it up with extra virgin olive oil and freeze them. So therefore, even during the winter time, I have fresh herbs on hand. Could you repeat that, what you just said, so people can sort of get it again? You you yeah. put them 
Uh, so I just chop my basil, yep. or you could chop rosemary or any oregano. herb. Okay. Yeah, any herb. I get an ice cube tray. Mm-hmm. I put the chopped herbs with you know in the um, the little mold. Yep. And then I fill them up to the top with Re- extra virgin olive oil. Right. And then I place that in the freezer, and freeze them. So then, when you want to take them out, you defrost them, right? Yeah, so you take them out like ice cubes. Yep. So you may not want to use the whole set. You may only want to use two molds. So you push them out like you would an ice cube right. and just let them sit to room temperature. Or if, if you're making a soup, you can just stick them in there like stock, like you would a stock cube. So you, it's, it's actually then the oil defrosts, right? Absolutely, the oil so What do you do with the oil? You just throw it away? Uh, if you want to, but I actually use it. So, for example, if I'm cooking a soup, um, I, I still need a little bit of oil, so I just put the whole um, cube within the soup. And so I'm getting the olive oil. But you can it. fill, you could fill each of those pods with as many herbs as you want. Absolutely. Okay, because I was thinking it was one leaf per pod, and then you, that's a lot of oil that's right on top of it. No, 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 no. Yeah, so just yeah, so just chop them. So it would be very uh, little olive oil um, when you think about it, if you filled each ice cube mold right. and chopped it up with lots of herbs. Yeah. So that's the best way, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's how I find the best ways to preserve. So they're basically my five top herbs. And then, you know, I, I, I heard one of your radio shows and you talked about choosing meat very wisely because... If the animal has been butchered under a state of stress, you should not yeah. be consuming that meat. Yep, yep. Tell us Ab- a bit about that. Absolutely. Um, Plutarch in ancient Greece wrote extensively on, on this subject matter. And what a lot of people don't realize is in ancient Greece, most of the philosophers and therapists were vegans or vegetarians. Mm. And one of the main reasons for that is they wanted to have clear clarity to be able to, you know, help people with their illnesses and health. And in order to have that clarity, it meant either not to consume any meat or to consume very little. And as Plutarch said, is the consumption of meat, he said, clouds one's judgment and clouds one's um, ability to be able to have clear thinking. And so these were, this was one of the ancient wisdoms that, you know, they were very much aware of. And mm-hmm. therefore, the meat consumption, meat was not a, consumed as it, is, as it is nowadays. And he also preached that if we are to consume an animal, let's mm-hmm. pray over it and, and let's consume it with pity. After all, we're taking a soul. So therefore, they were very conscious and very aware that this was a living being that they were about to consume. So if one must consume it, consume it sparingly or not at all. So in in a way, I mean, is kosher meat, halal meat, is that better to consume because it's been butchered in a different way or, or a more philosophically spiritual way? Yeah, look, that's a really interesting question. From an energetic point of view, Mm -hmm. yes, it is far better to consume kosher and halal than it is, you know, the conventional meat. However, from a nutritional point of view, it's not. So what do I mean by that? The the process that that 
that is different with those meats is that they do a little bit of praying. They also let the animal bleed and therefore they're, re they're removing a lot of the toxins and so on in the blood. Mm -hmm. However, there's no guarantee that that animal has not been fed genetically modified feed, that it hasn't been given antibiotics and it hasn't been given hormones. So if we're looking at this from a health aspect, there, there, there are still concerns there. And this is why any meat that has the organic stamp on it will always be far healthier for people to consume. So I'm looking for organic kosher or organic halal. Exactly. That's exactly right. Right. But, you know, I mean, there's so much. Everything's organic these days. I have a car freshener that's organic. <laughs> I have socks that are organic. What does it mean anymore? Is it, is, is it just a marketing symbol? Yeah, uh, yeah, we really need to be careful. There's a lot of companies using the word organic, a lot of restaurants as well, I might add. Because I don't think the FDA actually regulates the word organic, does it? No, no, the FDA doesn't regulate the, the word organic at all. There's a separate organization altogether mm. that's independent of the FDA and the government. Right. And what they do is they issue anybody that's gone through the proper certification process and quality assurance and checks are issued with the logo and the appropriate branding to put on the product. So what I say to people is be very careful because most products that are labeled natural and some products that are labeled organic are actually far from, uh, from natural or organic. I mean, there are products... How do I tell uh, the difference, though? Well, we're looking for the organic symbol. So very important, we're looking for the organic um, green symbol on products. And what does it say on, on there? Uh, well, it it has the uh, you know the U.S. Uh, the, the USA uh, organic symbol, right. and it starts with a number nine. So any produce where the barcode starts with a number nine, mm -hmm. you know that it is approved organic. Right. So conventional will have the number four and other numbers up the front. So there are ch two checks. We're looking at a barcode with nine, and we're looking for the actual organic symbol on there. Only those two things guarantee uh, you certainty that you're buying organic. Mm -hmm. That is free of chemicals, free of pesticides, and, and in mo most cases the animal's been treated humanely with respect and, and so on and so on. But aren't pesticides used for our protection to prevent disease and things like that? So, I mean, there's a certain advantage in having, say, so-called normal food being treated before it reaches our table. Well, I, I, I have to probably disagree with that. I mean, when you look at the word pesticide, the first word is pest. Hmm. So I guess we're being treated like pests. So. No, but pesticide is to remove the pests. <laughs> so I, I guess what I'm saying, <laughs> there are natural pesticides out there, mm -hmm. but there are pesticides that are being used that are detrimental to our body. So it's like what pesticide is being used. So when you look at the organic products yeah. and the ones that have the correct symbol and start with the number nine, they use organic pesticides. So that will be, for example, a combination of garlic with a little bit of Castile soap, a um, little bit of cane pepper, mm. shake it all up. And, and spray the plant. There are different types of organic and natural pesticides. So if you're saying to me they're using that pesticide, then I'm quite happy to eat that fruit or vegetable. But if it's the other one that is equivalent to cockroach spray or mm. 
killing ants, um, I, I wouldn't think that that would be healthy for one's body. I, I certainly wouldn't be spraying my, my food with rat poisoning and, and then eating it. So why am I allowing someone else to do it to me and then thinking that that's acceptable for me to eat? But, you know, when we talk to people like you and specialists like you, I mean, foods become such a dilemma because, you know, we have to be careful about fish because uh, we, we are told about the mercury levels. We have to be careful about beef because of the mad cow disease. Um, chicken is fed with hormones. And then, you know, the vegetables with the pesticides. Um, it's not fun anymore. Unfortunately, it's not. But I think what what's what's happening here is it's, making us become more conscious and more aware. Mm. So what I say to people is when you go out to buy a car, you know, you take a little bit of care. You, you, you test drive the model. Uh, you know, you, there's a bit of thought as to what color you want it to be. Well, what are some of the safety features I want for this car? I've got children. Mm. So we take a lot of time and care and, and do research to purchase our car. And what I say to people is we need to make the same effort when we're buying our food. And that may mean, well, maybe I should read the ingredients and see what's in there. If there's something I don't recognize, well, maybe I shouldn't be buying it. So I, I don't think going out there and buying needs to be sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a tiresome exercise or anything complicated. I, I guess what we're advocating, as a lot of nutritionists do, is just taking a little bit of care and paying a little bit of attention and becoming more conscious about what we're eating and why we're eating it and what are the impacts of what we're eating to our body, mind and soul. Yeah. Um, you know, here's the other dilemma. Mm. We've become, I guess, a nation of, of people who like to eat to be full as opposed to maybe in the olden times where you ate... Uh, to sustain yourself. Yes. You know, we become gluttons. We're yeah. always eating. We've become excessive, I think. I, yeah, I think and it's yeah. so much fun, isn't it? Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas the ancient Greeks used to preach on mm. the Oracle of Delphi, there was one quote, nothing in excess. The second quote in the Oracle of Delphi before you entered was, everything in moderation. The third quote, which is relates but unrelated, is think good thoughts. So if you couldn't get those three things, amongst with, you know, know thyself and a few other quotes, mm. if you didn't adhere to these quotes, then you weren't allowed to enter the Oracle of Delphi for healing and to get prophecies. And I think what's happened is we've become a world where we've become so disconnected to ourselves, both, you know, spiritually and in every regard that... We've become so unconscious that, and, and we're not connected and in tune with ourselves and our intuition that we're, we've gone excessive. We've either gone excessive one way or excessive the other way. And excessiveness has led to, of course, excessive eating. But we've also become a very emotional society. We're very stressed. Everybody's very stressed. Everybody's in a hurry. Mm. Um, no one can find peace. There's depression. And when you find that we're experiencing these sort of emotional issues, people start to emotionally eat. And as a consequence of emotional eating, it becomes excessive eating. And I suppose I can vouch for that because I went through a stage in my life 
where I became disconnected and I started to emotionally eat. And as a consequence of that emotional eating, it was excessive eating. So I have an understanding of, of, of why, you know, what drives people and mm. what causes people to emotionally eat and excessively eat. We've talked about food and let's talk about the actual cooking now. One thing I've noticed is you say that you should cook with something called agape, which means unconditional love. So now you're bringing a certain element of spirituality uh, into the process of creating food. Am I right? Absolutely. absolutely. So what you're saying is I should not argue with my wife before she starts to cook. <laughs> no, no, you should be praying. You should be praying over your wife <laughs> before she begins to cook. Um, yeah, or, or play, or maybe play some beautiful music for her. Mm. Even better. Um, I, I guess a very important concept, mm. and I think it doesn't just relate to food and cooking and eating, but I think it relates to life. And a very important ancient Greek principle was that of agape, which you've just mentioned. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean love. It's the only word in any culture's dictionary that means unconditional love. So if we're going to do anything, whether it's cooking or, or anything in life, enter mm. a relationship, there's an ancient Greek philosophy that we do it with unconditional love. And that means with no judgment, no fear. Um, we do it with joy. We do it with peace. We do it with happiness. So how it relates to a kitchen is if we go into the kitchen and we're not stressed and, uh, you know, we're calm, well, we're going to make good informed decisions about what we're going to cook, how we're going to cook it. We're going to be in tune to ourselves because, you know, we're still and we're at peace and we're going to be better able to use our senses as a guiding system to cook because it's our senses that will tell us what measurements to use for each recipe. But you're actually then, in a way, what I'm taking away from what you're saying is that when a parent is cooking for the family, they're actually consuming the love that's coming from her into the food. Absolutely. And so there's almost a spiritual transfer, is it right? Always. Isn't always. this very hippie-ish? Well, I don't know about hippieish, but it was certainly very ancient Greekish mm -hmm. in in terms of they believed that um, uh, you know if if the cook uh, was angry or was not in a happy state, he wouldn't be employed. He would be asked to leave because they didn't want his vibrational energy from that anger uh, to vibrate from his hands to the food. So, so if my wife makes a dish and it isn't very tasty, do I say to her, "Oh, you're in a bad mood today," and she says, "Why?" and I say, "Well, the dish is rubbish." Well, I, I certainly wouldn't be saying. I certainly wouldn't be saying that, because listen, at the end of the day, that's judgment. And 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 what I say to people. You should have you been know, a food lawyer. Well, yeah, I should have been a food lawyer. I think I went into tax law, which was to say. And it, can I tell you, it was dinner conversation killer. Every mm. time I say I was in tax, people would run. Now, at least when I say food, people enjoy my company more. But, but getting back to that, another thing is we're placing a little bit of judgment there on, on what someone has cooked. And at the end of the day, I can cook a dish, but not everybody's going to love it. And, and that's okay because some of us like more salt. We mm -hmm. like salty things. Someone else likes sweet, so they, they probably want to see more honey in the dish that I've made. Mm. And, and that's okay. At the end of the day, if the dish satisfies you 
and you're happy and you've made it with love, that's really what's important. What anybody else says is irrelevant. And unfortunately, we live in a world where there's so much judgment on dishes. You know, okay, then judging. let me make a judgment here. Does that, is, is what you're saying, does that mean that restaurant food is not good for you? Because I don't know what mood the chef is in. Exactly. And one of the things that I suggest in my book mm. is that if you must go out and eat in a restaurant, first of all, and this is my personal experience, I very rarely do it. The, the second thing when I do go is I do research on the websites, you know, just to make sure are they using good ingredients, for example... Um, no, but you can't you know, tell your friends if you're going out for dinner, look, we're not going there because oh. the chef is really peeved off. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be going, or B, if I, if I went, I'd, I'd eat very little on the menu. Right. So I'd avoid the meats, first of all, especially if I don't know if they're organic. So I tend to find that when I go out, I, I stick to the salads. So I avoid corn because I know it's genetically modified. I avoid fried foods because I know they're, they're likely to be using genetically modified. No, but I'm talking really about the whole spiritual concept of taking the love from the the creator, which is the chef, yeah. whether it's at home or in a restaurant, yeah. uh, onto the table. Yeah, absolutely. And some kitchens we cannot see, so we don't know what's going on in the back of the kitchen. Mm. But, but a practice that I do, and you may think this is hippie, is when my dish comes out, and I don't do it in any obvious way, I pray over the meal. And I, I, I say, God, you know, if or whoever, whatever you believe in, it doesn't have to be God, um, you know, I'm praying over this dish to negate any energy that doesn't serve my higher purpose. But that makes total sense because, like the Christians, you know, when the meal comes out, they, say, they used to say a family prayer or some even do now. Yeah, well, we still do it in my family, in Greece. And I guess kosher kitchens, they, they have a, a certain type of blessing. Yeah, which is fantastic. And, and that's why I think the kosher and the halal meats, mm. in, in terms of, as we discussed before, from the energy perspective, that's why they do it. It's like to clear that energy. Mm -hmm. However, it's not necessarily nutritional for you, as we flagged before. Well, you talk about the energy perspective. Now, you're also a great believer in... Um, light therapy, color therapy, music therapy yeah. in one's world or environment. Um, what's this thing about light therapy? Absolutely. Something that, that a lot of people don't know is in ancient Greece for healing, and I'm not, uh, so in general healing, I mean for cooking, eating, way of life, they didn't just practice uh, having a good sound mind, happy mind, and eating good food. They complemented everything, as you said, with light therapy, color therapy. No, but in the olden days, how could you change the light? They didn't have electricity. Well, they, they didn't have electricity, but they had crystals. So oh. with, with crystals and, and the sun shining on the crystals, you can project different lights. So, and this is how Aristotle came up with his book discussing the different lights and the vibrational frequencies. So these these people may not have not had electricity, but they found ways to to generate energy and to generate color. But when I talk about color therapy, I'm not just talking about light. I'm talking about the colors of the food. So, for example, the different colors of the food mm. have a different vibrational frequency and different healing. So, for example, when we're talking about greens, greens are grounding, grounding to earth, so they detoxify the body. And when you look at the structure of anything green, 
it has the same structure as our blood, the chlorophyll. So for example, when we're looking at reds, not only is it that when we look at the colour, you know, we get excited because it's all about love and we associate red, you know, with love and we want to have it, of course, around us and in our food on Valentine's Day, mm -hmm. but also red in general is good for the heart, heart health. If you cut a tomato in half, it looks like the heart. So therefore, it's good for the heart. So they, they started to observe. So does that mean having a banana is good for the libido? Well, I can't. I'm only using that, your I process. I know, I know figs are, and Hippocrates used to say that nuts, honey, and cinnamon are good for that as well. Wow. And of course, all the aphrodisiac dishes mm. that, that they came up, namely aphrodisiac, ancient Greek word, comes from the goddess Aphrodite. And we associate oysters good for that um, because Aphrodite strung from. So the anything that looks like a phallic symbol is good. Well, uh, well, I, I don't know about that. We'd have to go through the list, but mm, oh no, you know, we don't have any, time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'd have to go. Yeah, had to go through. But I know that figs are certainly for men. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And now you talked about. Let's talk a little more about the light therapy. Yeah. You're talking about light, as in the light that comes out from the bulb in yeah, in in in, in a modern day house. Yeah, so incorporating color in the kitchen. Um, for example, if you've got a a kitchen that's got nice, bright, happy colours, it creates a nice environment. So, for example, when we look up at the sky and we look at the blues, we, we feel this sense of calmness and peace. So if we incorporated maybe these beautiful light blues in, as splashbacks in our kitchen, mm -hmm. we're basically bringing that into our kitchen. Or we may want to have colourful, um, you know, food processes or utensils. So colour is not just about the food and incorporating colour as in beams of light. It's also colour in terms of having the utensils. It's all about creating an environment that's pleasurable and, and calm and happy that you want to go into the kitchen to cook. So the colour therapy thing takes many different angles. But it's just about what you surround yourself, what you see. Exactly, exactly right. And music. Obviously, the calmer the music, the calmer you are. Absolutely. And, and music is so important in every aspect of our life, not just in the kitchen. Mm. In ancient times, it was so important that they, they actually composed many hymns that were played during cooking and after cooking. Even nowadays in Greece, we have songs for various dishes that we play. Namely, for example, we have one for the butter cookies that we make. And while we're making them, we sing a song and put music on. So what we're doing is we're just, you know, in a joyous state. We're happy with the cooking. We're vibrating good energy. And it, it just makes the whole, you know, ritual of, of cooking more pleasurable. Is eating in a leisurely way healthier? Absolutely. How long should each meal take? Absolutely. Well, as long as you want it to take. I think too many of us are, are rushing our meals. Mm -hmm. as, as Aesop used to say in ancient Greece, uh, eat with peace and calm. An important thing is if we're rushing our meals, we're not giving the proper opportunity for the nutrients to be absorbed correctly. When we're not chewing our food, it's also not helping our digestion system to digest it properly. So this is why we have teeth. We need to eat slowly. 
and and chew everything and and also enjoy the moment be present when someone's eating really fast i'm not quite sure that they're appreciating what they're eating they're not present enough they're so if i was to go out for dinner with you you'd be taking your sweet time i'd I, be i'd <laughs> be on my second course while you're just almost finishing your starters what well, what well, depends how quickly i mean how quickly do do you eat each course i mean if you're sort of you know uh, gobbling it up i think i think i would be on my first course while you're on the third one i i'm mean, look i'm not saying you know take 2 3 hours i'm saying you know make it pleasurable make it enjoyable have a little bit of conversation in between pause look at your food appreciate the colors appreciate what you're eating and and let your body ab- ab- absorb the nutrients when you're stressed your body is not absorbing nutrients it's too busy fighting the stress and the anxiety that the body is experiencing when mm. you're peaceful and calm your body is is absorbing everything it's taking it in and it's absorbing the nutrients and the issue that we have nowadays is we've become a society where we're deficient in nutrition but not deficient in quantity of food and the majority of the food that we're eating has no nutritional value and people are aging quicker it's another observation i i look at a lot of people and they look much older than what they are because they're not getting the nutrition that they need in their bodies you know the way you're you're telling me stuff it it, it seems to take me back to the scenario of fine dining because when i go and engage in fine dining everything is slower and everything is a lot more subtle um and like you know when like you you have some wine so the first thing you do is that you know the sommelier comes by he pours you a little bit then i suppose you have to look at it shake it a little bit smell it a little then taste it so everything is you're sort of enlightening and arousing the senses absolutely uh, as as archestratus in ancient greece mm. would say Uh, the ancient Greeks enjoy elegant fine dining all about enjoyment when we go back and look at the ancient Greek symposium it was all about having little tasting plates coming let's try it uh, and then after the four, first course a philosopher might come and start talking about philosophy then he would go then the second course would come or the third course and then they would have a comedian so there would be an interval so then there would be something um you know funny happening to lighten up uh the symposium and the dinner conversation well that's the same in fine dining i mean you know you exactly. they 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 bring you the plate and you know you get one cube of steak for the, for the price of a normal cow um <laughs> and 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 uh you get a little baby beetroot and then you know they'll present it in a beautiful way it look like a work of art um you need to go to the bank to pay for it but then they'll talk about it and then you're meant to say oh ah and then you eat it and and you know they're probably at the back laughing like you know yeah yeah i i guess i encourage fine dining with a little bit more quantity on the plate right i i get what you mean with mm. with, with the cube yeah that that that's that's a little bit sort of excessive going the other direction so i i guess more in in the fine dining i'm encouraging the pace But you see the 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 philosophy of the process seems to be very much in line with yours. Absolutely. As in look, uh see, smell, observe, uh so on and so forth. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is all this meant to be doing though? Apart from taking up valuable time. 
it's making people more present. So I think if you take that approach, in addition to the benefits that we said before mm. of your body ab absorbing and actually you know, digesting the food properly and so on, it's also encouraging people to be present. And when you're present, mm. um, you don't have time to think about the past and the future and the worries. And if we were all more focused on the present, as they were in ancient Greece, we'd be happier human beings. Same as in cooking. If you go into the kitchen with love, you're present. So therefore, you're not worried about, oh my God, I've got 20 people coming. Oh my goodness me, how am I going to get this done? Oh my God, I remember last time I made this dish, it was an absolute disaster, I burnt it. So when you focus on the present, as in that example that you just gave, which is perfect, you're also attaining a sense of peace. Can you, in your experience, can you tell if food has been cooked under duress? Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I can. Mm. So when I'm really sensitive... Thank God, I thought you were going to say no. You should have blown the whole interview away. <laughs> so I, I say sometimes because I'm not perfect. Right. And, and, and I don't believe anybody's perfect. So, yes, when, when I'm present and I'm calm and I'm peaceful, absolutely, I can. Like, say, you've gone to your friend's house and they've cooked something. Like you said, you know, 20 people coming for dinner, the hostess is under real yeah. stress. Well, what, what do you taste? What Describe what you feel. Uh, what do I feel? I, 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 I feel that, that pain and that stress. Okay, no, no. But what does it taste like? Uh, it, it doesn't, uh, there is no taste. That's the thing. Or I find it's not in balance. So, for example, we're always trying to achieve a balance between sweet, salt, sour. So, if someone has not cooked from a place of harmony, I can usually tell that that's out of balance. So that, no, so but then you words, said that, you know, some people like more salt, some people like this, some people, it just could be a different style of cooking. Exactly. Uh, but sometimes it's really out of whack so that the salt is excessive. So in other words, everything in moderation. So if it's excessive, mm. then you know they haven't cooked from a place of harmony. Or it's burnt. That's excessive. So do you actually so then tell your hostess that, you know, are you under stress because this was rubbish? No, I, would ne I would never, ever uh, say that or, or, or speak to anybody. Mm. What I would do is just sit there and, uh, and, and just sort of pray over it and say, it is what it is. I'm going to be present. Mm -hmm. I'm going to enjoy this because my host has put a lot of love and a lot of effort into this dish, and I'm going to appreciate the moment. And, and I think it's really important that, that we also have compassion and not judge. And if I was to react in that way, that would be judgment. Okay. And, and I think it's really important that, um, you know, we just stop judging I I each other. Uh, sometimes I acknowledge that something may not have been cooked the way I like it. But at the end of the day, I, I, I still don't like to judge. Right. Alcohol. The Greeks love to drink. Is that good? They certainly did. They especially enjoyed red wine and they used to water it down because they used to drink excessively. And therefore, by watering down the red wine, they used to find they could drink a, a lot more. And I agree that some alcohol is healthy, and namely red wine. Mm -hmm. um, and, and still, research has proved a glass of red wine with your meal is very healthy. Um, but, you know, we need to be careful that there's a lot of alcohol that people are drinking that that is really unhealthy. 
um, and some people are drinking excessively. It, it's become an addiction. So it's like, what alcohol are we drinking? If it's red wine, uh, I certainly encu- encourage it, a glass of wine. But as I said before, everything in moderation. So if someone's going to drink 10 vodkas or 12 vodkas... That's, that's going to be one hell of a party, yeah. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly, yeah. So, yeah, so red wine, absolutely. Now you're out with a book, Cooking and Eating Wisdom for Better Health. Yes, which comes out uh, being relaunched next month. And what? Uh, give us a brief description of it. So basically, essentially, in summary, it covers um, a lot of these ancient wisdoms and philosophies that we've discussed mm-hmm. that are relevant to cooking, eating, and life. And, you know, I explore why was it that the ancients lived, you know, many of them till over 100, right. you know, with very little illnesses. Um, and, and, and what's happening nowadays that we're doing that's wrong. Mm-hmm. In the second part of the book, I, I've taken a, a very different approach. I've selected a lot of ingredients from ancient Greece that we use for cooking and medicinal purposes. Mm-hmm. And I've captured a lot of the ancient mythology and stories and a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of sort of the lotions and potions that were used. So, for example, if we're talking about cinnamon, uh, I talk about, you know, its, or, you know, its origins, how it got to Greece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that they, Hippocrates used it for blood pressure. And it's right. interesting nowadays that a lot of, um, uh, you know, nutritionists and um, dietitians and so on do, do advocate to, to incorporate cinnamon for the reduction of blood pressure. And where can you get it? And then recipes. Uh, well, people will be able to get it from everywhere, online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It will also be in e-book form, so you can get on Nooks and iBooks. So it will be available everywhere, uh, basically. Well, Maria, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Viv. Thank you for having me so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account and my Facebook page. Let me know what you think about today's show. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.